I always love hearing from kids about things that they love about church camp or VBS or church, uh, especially like their favorite things about camp, you know, fishing, riding the water slides. Uh, but after hearing the, the one little boy talk about what he loved the most, I'm actually changing my sermon on the fly. We'll talk about the grapefruits of the spirit today. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the kids, this, you saw the scenes, the third and fourth grade camp was a couple of weeks ago, first and second grade camp, they just got back yesterday, and then Matt here in about an hour is leaving with fifth and sixth graders to go back down there uh, for the week, so uh, be praying for them. Phil is in Colorado right now with our high schoolers, so be praying for them as well too. This is the impactful time of the year uh, for our next generation, and we're excited for it. Uh, it's exciting to see uh, the, the seeds that get planted in our, in our kids' lives. This is what we prayed for a few weeks ago. We had uh, had, them, had Matt and Phil up here, and you guys actually missed it at this service because at 1045, they brought all the kids up here with them. And, uh, I mean, I was actually on the, the steps over there. We had so many kids up here. And it was really funny because Ben was scolding them as they were walking off because kids kept, like, playing the piano. He was like, stop touching that, you know. And, like, <laughs> we just talked about how much we want to invest in the next generation, and you're yelling at them like an old man because they looked at your piano. So, but uh, I can do that and say, you know, blame him for it. I wasn't here on the stage at that point to yell at him, or I probably would have too, but that's beside the point, okay? Um, hey, speaking of our next generation, I've got an announcement I'd like to make for you all. Um, this is a picture of uh, Stefan Caudill and his fiance Caitlin, and they are uh, the new student pastors here at Crossroads. Uh, we have, uh, they came out and visited a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've been interviewing and talking with him for the last several months. And um, Stefan, uh, we, we offered him a couple of weeks ago. He accepted about a week and a half ago and uh, got the chance to meet our students on Wednesday night. He was here uh, and, and got to meet them. But uh, Stefan is going to be starting with us here in uh, a few weeks, early August sometime. And uh, he's excited to get here. He'd start quicker, but he's got this whole wedding thing coming up that's apparently a priority. Uh, but him and Caitlin are, are getting married here in a couple of weeks. Um, and uh, so I, I said, do you want to come today and, and get introduced? He goes, I would love to, but my friends are taking me somewhere and I don't know where. So, and next week, Caitlin's friends are doing the same with her. So uh, assuming that their friends don't take them someplace where they get lost forever, they're getting married in two weeks. Uh, and, and we'll be excited to have them starting with us here soon. Uh, so be praying for, for these two. Uh, we're excited to have them. Uh, they're excited to be here. He's originally from Topeka. She is from Tonganoxie. Uh, and, and when we got to know her, we found out very quickly there's a lot of connections back to this church for her and her family. So um, be praying for them. Uh, they're, they just graduated from Manhattan Christian. Uh, they got an apartment just down the road here on Renner. So they're actually going to I joked with him, I said, you, you do realize now you're the closest staff member to the church, so you're first in line in case of emergency. This is why I moved to Olathe, so I'm the furthest away. <laughs> I'm the last one that's going to get here for stuff. But they're excited to get here, and we're excited to, to have them. Kind of on that same line, I, I want to invite and encourage you uh, to, to make sure you're here in three weeks on July 30th. Uh, Phil's going to be preaching that Sunday. And that's going to be his last Sunday on staff with us. Uh, they're going to be around for a couple of months still. They're not moving off until September. Uh, but uh, students especially, we're going to have you all just be in here with us on, on that Sunday. Um, as we honor Phil, uh, he's going to be preaching in the next series we've got coming up. 
We're going to take some time after the sermon is done to pray over him and Becca and the girls as we send them out and support them as they step out into this next phase of ministry into missions. Uh, but they're going to be ramping up in August and September to just full-fledged uh, support raising to finish out what they need to before they go to Ohio. So make sure you're here for that as well, too. It's, it's an exciting time with a lot going on with our kids and our student ministry. Hey, we're glad that you're, you're here this morning. If you're here in the room, if you're joining us online, if you're visiting, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're in a two-week little series that we're starting today because I didn't plan very well on my last series uh, that we're just simply calling The Little Guys. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, I, I kind of adjusted on the fly. I'm not a person who needs every detail of everything planned out, but when it comes to preaching, I have my, my schedule pretty well planned out for the year. And around week uh, four or so, week five or so, of what was supposed to be an eight-week series, I thought, why in the world did I make this an eight-week series? Because this is really a five- or a six-week series. So we shortened it. We decided, let's just fill this in with a couple of, of uh, short little New Testament books. So we're simply calling it The Little Guys. And uh, we're going to talk about two of the shortest books in the Bible over the next couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about Jude. But today we're going to talk about a letter Paul wrote to a guy named Philemon. Just a little context here if you're curious. Philemon, uh, when you find it in the Bible, this is the entire book of Philemon in my Bible. It doesn't even fill a page. It is extremely short, but there's a lot in here. Philemon was a believer who lived in the city of Colossae, uh, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, from what we can kind of just assume about Philemon, he was a pretty well-to-do, well-off person. He had a home large enough to host the Colossian church in it. He had servants and slaves who worked for him that he owned. And so we just kind of come to this conclusion that he probably was a pretty well-to-do person. Uh, and Paul writes this letter to him in the year 62 AD from prison while well, he's in Rome. Paul write, uh, wrote the letter of Philemon alongside the letter of Colossians. And he sent them with the same person, a man named Epaphras, whom he names at the end of both of his letters. Paul wrote the letter to Philemon as a personal letter with uh, just kind of a, a few different thoughts in it, but it was also a letter that was meant to be shared with the church afterwards as well too. Paul, in his letter, mentions to Philemon that he's grateful for him, that he praises him, and he references that he has love for all the saints and, and love for the Lord Jesus and that the hearts of all the saints have been blessed and refreshed by him. Paul calls him brother. He refers to him in this term multiple times. But Paul also has some heavy things to talk about with Philemon. And he doesn't want to come across in this heavy-handed or, or judgmental or, you know, this like guilt-driven kind of way. Paul wants to come across with an appeal out of love. Philemon, I think, is a younger Christian growing in Christ still yet. And Paul knows his potential. He knows what he can do. What we learn in the course of this letter is that Philemon had a slave by the name of uh, Onesimus who had run away from him. And in this culture, if a slave would run away and escape, often they would steal things on their way out the door so that they could have something for resources. They could sell it so they could get by out on their own. So Onesimus has hurt Philemon in the process of leaving him, and he's run off. But somewhere along the line, Onesimus made it all the way to Rome. If you know a map, that's a long ways to go from modern-day Turkey clear to Rome. 
But he gets to Rome and he gets connected with Paul and Paul leads him to Christ. And now Onesimus is serving Paul in ministry, serving with Paul in ministry. And Paul loves Onesimus and calls him a son and calls him a brother. He's very well connected with him. But he wants to send him back to Philemon. Not to say go back into your servitude in this house. No, go back to Philemon and and, and serve with him. Join him as a partner in ministry. And so he's appealing He's appealing to Philemon to do this. This letter, again, it's incredibly short. In your English Bible, it's 25 verses long. But in the original Greek, it's only 335 words long. The third shortest book in the entire Bible, only 2nd and 3rd John, are shorter. But throughout this little letter, there is so much that we can unpack. It's easy sometimes, I think, to gloss over something this short in the Bible. If you're doing a a read the Bible in a year plan, like I know many of you do, you probably read Philemon along with multiple chapters in another book. And it may be easy just to kind of blink right past it, kind of like a map dot town. You blink and you miss it kind of town. But there's a lot in here. There's so much that we can learn about Paul and about Philemon and about Onesimus and about ourselves, so much that the original readers would have picked up on. Themes like love, Themes like growth in Christ, themes like uh, reconciliation, and, and ultimately all of those fall under one big umbrella that this letter really wants to push, and that's that the gospel changes everything. The gospel of Jesus changes everything. It changes who we are at our very core. It changes our nature and our character. Who we are today isn't who we were before the gospel got a hold of our lives. We notice that, that Paul was changed radically by the gospel of Jesus. He, he, he points out to Philemon how he's changing, how he wants him to continue to change. And that works for all of us. So, so at the risk of just reading this entire letter to you, I'm going to ask has you do this on your own later, because you could read this in about two minutes maybe. I just want to dive bomb a couple of parts of this, kind of walk through it and look at a couple of the themes because there's a few lessons out of this very short letter that we can put to practical use in our own lives. Here's the first lesson. Love builds family. Love builds family ties. You'll have to forgive me because I, I sent Stacy my notes incorrectly and didn't get this first bit on a slide here. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. But otherwise, just listen as I read this. And I love when I talk about Philemon because there's no chapter. There's just, there's just the letter. So we don't say Philemon chapter 1 or chapter whatever. But Philemon verse 4 reads like this. Paul says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much comfort and joy, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts for God's people. Paul understands something about himself that he also understands Philemon shares. They both dearly love the church. This is Paul's story. If you read the book of Acts, once he gets converted, he just you know, immediately jumps into that deep end of the pool. And Paul starts on these journeys where he travels all around Asia, planting churches, growing them up, and then handing them off to somebody else. All he cares about in life is spreading the gospel of Jesus through these local churches. But he also has love for the people there. 
We read about various people that he comes in contact with. That's somebody like John Mark or Barnabas or Timothy. Here it's Philemon. He even refers to him as a brother. Paul lays on thick what he thinks of Philemon and how much he cares for Philemon. And that's significant because he's about to turn the page and change tone. Now, I don't think Paul's doing this like a compliment sandwich kind of thing. Like, he's not buttering him up, you know, where you say something really good and nice about somebody, and then you give him a harsh criticism, and then you come back with something good and nice on the backside so that it makes the, the middle part a little easier to digest. I don't think he's doing that. I think Paul's sincere. You're my brother, and I love you. And I love that you love other people, and I love what you do for other people. And I say this, that I think Paul is sincere here, because of what Paul does with his words. If you go to Bible college or if you, you take any kind of class on interpreting the Bible, you've heard me say this, you look for repetition. You look for words that get said over and over. Paul uses seven words in the, this short little letter. Again, 335 words long. Seven words appear multiple times. Words like love, prayer, sharing, good or goodness, heart, brother, refresh, just leave this up here for, for a minute because I didn't put this on your note. She just wanted to show you these. These are themes that he says about Philemon that he'll later say about Onesimus and he'll say about the church as well too. These aren't just themes. This is who Paul is and who he knows Philemon is. And we think about love especially because love trickles down through so many of these other words. Love is the core that Paul is coming from here. That's the reason he's writing this letter. Because he knows he's about to get harsh with somebody he cares deeply about, but it comes rooted out of that. And that's ultimately what love does for us. Love should be our underlying motivation in everything that we do in the name of Christ. God's love for us is so strong, and when we love one another in his name, that's our opportunity to share that love with other people. We talk about sometimes the way we love one another is how we get a glimpse, just a small glimpse of how, how God loves us, but we get to share that with other people as imperfect as we may be. But in that, we understand that this love is so powerful, it gives us a new identity in life. First John chapter 3, John says that we should see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. I love this because we can be called so many different things. We can be labeled so many different things by the world, by each other, by, by the people around us. We kind of talked about this in that series on Joseph a few weeks ago, how Joseph had all of these things said to him, but yet he was able to rise above it because of God, because of the love that he had for God and, and how he embraced that. But no, we're called God's children. We get the title of Christian, little Christ or Christ-like that's what we get to wear. That's the identity that we now have in him. And John goes on to say that this love that we have that is so strong, we get to be called God's children, that we should share it with one another. But it's not a love simply to be shared by word. It's a love to be shared through action and deeds. You understand this. We can say whatever we want to one another. We can say whatever we want the other person to believe, but ultimately it boils down to what we actually do with that. If you don't know me that well, I can tell you all sorts of stuff, but until you see me live it out, you may not fully believe it. But you've got somebody in your life that just shows you love every day. 
that shows you things every day. Kids are a good indicator of this, by the way. Kids are a good judge of this, by the way, because they see through everything that you say sometimes. They know, they know what's ultimately in your heart because they see it act out through your hands and feet. So when you love others, is it through words or is it through action and deeds? That's what Paul's praising Philemon for here. He says, you don't just talk the talk, you walk it. You, you, you show it in how you treat other people. You show it in how you care for other people. So love strongly because that love builds a family that ties everything together. And ultimately, when you show somebody who you truly are and they believe who you truly are and that person is a person of love, it makes talking to them about hard topics a little bit easier to do. You've got their trust that kind of leads us to the second lesson we get here out of Philemon. That it's that persuasion can be stern, but it can be kind. You, you might kind of sometimes wonder if it's an either or. And I think it's because for a lot of us, we struggle. We're one or the other. We're, we're strict and we're stern, or we're kind of that more, you know, go with the flow, easygoing pushover type. You don't find a ton of people who know how to walk the line and do both. Who can be strict when they need to be, but can do it out of love. They can do it with this nature of care, and you know that they truly care about you and the people around them. But that's what Paul has become over the course of time here. He says in verse 8, this is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do, but because of your love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my very own heart. I love what he says there in verse 8, that I'm boldly asking a favor, and he says, I could demand it. I could demand it because, you know, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But I'm going to appeal to you instead. I'm going to try to get you to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You've probably seen examples of this too. I kind of see this play out a little bit more as I've gotten older in my relationship with my dad. My dad, you know, when, when we were kids, or when I was a kid, my brother was a kid, my dad is a police officer, very, very strict in our household. You know, it was very much my way or no way at all kind of thing. Not my way or the highway because I wasn't old enough to drive yet, but my way or no way. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you, you, you kind of rubs you the wrong way or you, you want to act out or rebel. I was too terrified to do either one of those things, by the way. Um, but as I've gotten older and, you know, had my own family, my own kids, my own home, He'll still tell me things to do from time to time, but it's, well, I think you should do this. I, th I would do this way. And, you know, it's up to me to decide whether or not I want to follow that. Now, my dad's yet to pull the card out of his pocket and say, you share my name, you owe it to me to do it this way. He hasn't played that card yet. He probably could. Knowing my dad, he probably won't. But that's a card that's always out there. Dads, you might understand this if you've got adult children. Instead, what does he do? Hey, even if, if this is the right thing to do, here's what I think you should do. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. Paul, you know, has no direct authority here over Philemon. 
This is kind of more of like a mentor and mentee kind of relationship here. Paul brought Philemon up. He handed off this church to him. But Paul is not like in a direct supervisory position to, to Philemon. Paul's in prison. I mean, what's he going to do? If Philemon doesn't do what he wants to do, what's Paul going to do here? He's in prison a few years from being executed here. So what does he do instead? He goes, I'm not going to demand anything. I'm going to tell you, hey, you know what the right thing to do is here. You deep down in your heart, you know what the right thing to do is here. So I'm going to appeal to that, and I'm going to ask you out of respect for you. Paul understands more than maybe anybody else, the more you coerce and push and demand, it's probably not going to break the way you want it to do. I think Paul gives us a good example here that when you try to use persuasion or correction, that it needs to be done with love, not out of command. That all correction should be done this way. This is, is something that scholar N.T. Wright refers to as gracious persuasion. It's this idea that you're coming from a position of deep love for somebody else and also the person that you're talking to. In this case, there's a, a mutual person in Onesimus. Yes, Paul and Philemon know each other well, but this third party has come in now. And Paul's saying, hey, for the sake of him, for the sake of him, do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You ever have to just drop your pride, swallow it a little bit, maybe even sacrifice your, what you would call your dignity? It's not really dignity, it's pride, but you have to sacrifice some of that to do the right thing here. Paul spent his entire previous life as a Pharisee demanding people do things a certain way. He's, that, that's all he did. You worship God this way or you're not worshiping God, period. That's the way that he approached people. And then Jesus got a hold of him. And now how does Paul change his tune? Well, we get a glimpse of how he changes his tune at the beginning of pretty much every letter that he writes when he says the words like he says in Philemon verse 3, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grant you grace and peace. We see that playing out in almost every single letter that Paul writes. And basically when he talks about grace and peace, what he's doing there is he is saying, hey, approach each other the way Jesus approached other people too. Because Jesus came preaching in grace and peace. Yes, Jesus got stern when he needed to get stern. But often Jesus came clothed in grace and peace, especially, especially with the non-religious. The people he got stern with often were the Pharisees, people who should have known better. Or maybe, maybe it was sometimes his own disciples who probably at this point should have known better. But no, he preached grace and peace. He was gentle with the down and out. He was gentle with the rejected. He was gentle with those who were far away from him. That's why Jesus, I believe, said in Matthew chapter 5, that blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You can read this and think that by meek, you mean somebody who's just a pushover or a doormat or, or somebody who, you know, doesn't put up much of a fight. That, that's not what this means here. Some translations, this comes out as blessed are the humble, the humble in spirit, the humble in how you approach other people, the humble in that you realize when it all boils down to it, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God and how we can impact one another in that kingdom. Blessed are they, Jesus says, for they will inherit the kingdom. But kind of on the flip side of this, Paul also didn't hesitate to speak up when he needed to speak up. 
He didn't hesitate to flex those criteria that that he had, uh, to flex all of those titles that he had when he needed to, especially when he was trying to speak up for somebody who was marginalized. And in this case, that's what he's doing. It's easy to say, well, Onesimus was just a slave. He was just a possession of somebody. He wasn't a, a, a real person. No, that's not what Paul's saying here. Because Paul sees this man and says, no, he is a creation of God just like you and I are. And not only that, now he is a dear, dear person in my life. He's a dear person to me. And Paul understands the truth when it comes to people like Onesimus, just like people like Philemon, who are well-to-do, or just like himself, who is scholarly and has all of the, the credentials out there. He understands that the gospel is for everyone. I heard a pastor one time say that if the gospel is not for everyone everywhere, it's not for anyone anywhere. No, it's for everyone who wants to embrace it. It's for everybody who's willing to come to Christ. It's for everyone. Paul understands this, and he writes about this many times. The book of Ephesians is about unity and about no one person being more important than the others. That's what he writes the Corinthian letters for, a church that's broken and divided because they're chasing what they want and the people they want rather than simply chasing after Christ. In one of those letters in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He understands that we all are important. And you understand this too, and I've used this before, that... You might think certain body parts are more important than others, and to some degree, you're right. You can probably get by without an arm better than you can get by without your head, okay? Probably not going to work that well for you. But if one part of your body is not functioning the way it's supposed to, it throws your whole body off. It throws everything. It messes everything up in your daily routine. So it is with the church. We need all the parts working the way they're supposed to work to function. That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And what we have to remember with this is when it comes to each other, that love we have that builds family ties, how that ultimately plays into us is that we have to be there to help and fix and correct one another in love with gentleness, not with guilt trips and coercion. And Paul's making sure that Philemon understands this. See, here's what we need to understand. A bad situation in life does not give you an excuse to not act like a Christian to other people. And on the flip side, a very good situation in life doesn't give you the opportunity to not act like a good Christian to other people. That was the whole purpose of the series on Joseph that we just went through. One situation after another, one detour after another led him to make a decision, and ultimately he made the right one. And some of those those detours threw him into a bad place. Some of those detours threw him into a good place. But he stayed the same. He was consistent. Why? Because he'd given God him. He'd given God himself. We're all parts of the body of Christ and how we respond and reply to one another will say a lot about who Jesus is to our world around us. And it will specifically help those who are young in the faith like Onesimus, who's trying to become more like Christ. Speaking of that, here's the third thing we learned from Philemon. It's that growth in Christ is a gradual process. I think that we, we think this baptistry is something magical. 
You know, it's like a just add water and here's a Christian kind of thing. You know, like you're dunked and boom, there you are. Everything's fixed. All your flaws are gone. Now, we had, we had a guy in, uh, when we were in, in Arizona, and uh, I mean, he was a bit rough. And I uh, got the chance to kind of help, help, I won't say I led him to Christ, but helped in his journey and got to be there with him when, when he was baptized. And he had only been coming a little while. I mean, he, he was really ready to do this, but man, he was still rough. And gets baptized, and we're like, so man, how do you feel? He goes, I feel incredibly awesome. Now, incredibly, I added that word. He used a different adjective there <clears throat> that tends to make movies R-rated. I'll let you figure out which one it is. And I'm like, for me, okay, first off, this is my first taste of church outside of Oklahoma. I'm a little caught off guard. I realize not everybody's like me, but I'm a little caught off guard. So first I'm like, you know, where's the lightning? It's coming. God's going to strike us all down. My second thought was, you're not wrong, you know? Like, <laughs> that does feel incredibly awesome. I didn't repeat him, but he got the point, right? <laughs> and, you know, I thought, okay, it didn't just all change because he's given his life to Christ and gotten baptized now. No, he's going to be a work in progress. One of my mentors tells a story about a guy that he led to Christ. And this guy was, you know, addicted to, to some drugs, and he was living a hard life, and but he came to Christ, and, and so Mark would meet with him about once a week. Hey, how you doing? Man, I've, I've given my life to Jesus and baptized. I'm still smoking pot, though. We'll work on that, you know. A couple weeks later, hey, I, I quit that. I'm still cussing all the time, though. We'll work on that. A couple weeks later, it's, well, I, you know, I'm on fire for Christ, but this. We'll work on this. A couple weeks later, but this. We're going to work on that. That's us. I mean, that's the story of us. There's always something to keep working on. It would be great if you just got baptized and boom, okay, you have to go to heaven now. Like, no, we still have a life in front of us. And it's a life for the kingdom. And we have to understand that, especially somebody who has come from far away, somebody who isn't a person who grew up in the church, has to learn what it means to become like Christ. That's where we're there as a church, to help them with that. It's a gradual process, and it takes time. And we have to remember, too, some people, yes, some people, as soon as they're out of that water, every single thing has changed. For others, it may take some time. The important thing is they're focused on Jesus, and they're stepping with him day by day. Philemon, verse 15, Paul writes, It seems that you lost Onesimus for a little while, so you could have him back forever. I love that line. I love that line. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. I think about that because I think in this story, we're Onesimus, and God is Philemon. Now, he doesn't need the reminder to love for us, but we're the ones that ran away from him and took stuff in the process. And then we come back, and we come back, and we're restored, and we're reconciled back to him. And now, if Onesimus comes back the next day, and Philemon just takes him in, you know, you can use your kind of imagination here. There might be some difficulty in this relationship. If you've had a restored relationship, you know that growth, to get it back to the way it was, can be difficult. But it can be worked on. Philemon here 
by all accounts, is a very strong believer. He's doing all the things a Christian should be doing, but it's also believed he's a fairly new believer. And Onesimus hurt him. And to act as a reminder of this, Paul, who understands hurt as well as anybody because he's been hurt time and time again, he flips it on his head yet again. And he gives an example that I think we all need to follow, one of the greatest examples that we can live out in our lives as Christians. It's the example of sacrifice. Because look what he says in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, here comes the card. (laughs) Now he's going to play it. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Kind of sounds like the Good Samaritan story a little bit here. Hey, if he owes you anything, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll pay it. I'll pay it all. Just keep my credit card on file, whatever you need. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And oh, by the way, don't forget that you also owe me a lot too. There's the card, right? Paul plays it. You owe me your life. I led you to Christ. I got you away from whatever it was you were doing. I helped you get started with this church. Paul's playing the card here, and he's saying, hey, by the way, when I say you owe me, I don't actually want you to give to me. I want you to pay that forward. This is kind of a relationship I have with my aunts and uncles. My, I've had a special relationship with them in my, my life, and they've just given me so much over the years, whether that's experiences, whether that's gifts, whatever it may be. And the thing is, they don't want anything back from me. They want me to give that forward. They've all told me this. Hey, one of these days, you're going to have nieces and nephews. Be there for them the way we've been there for you. One of these days, you're going to have people come into your life. Be there for them the way we've been there for you. And and now that my nieces and nephews are growing up, I'm finally getting getting into the opportunities where I can have those times. We don't live that close to them right now. You know, they're down in Oklahoma, three hours away or so. But when I am there, I want those moments with them. I want want to spend time sharing with them in in some way, shape, or form, whatever that may be. But it doesn't just work with, with, with family. This is how the church works too. Jesus gave to you, so it's our responsibility to give to the world around us, to sacrifice for the world around us, to give and love the world around us. Paul is telling Philemon, reminding him what he gave to him. This isn't Paul flexing on what he gives. Okay, Paul's not walking up going, here's a million-dollar check right into the offering box. That's not what he's doing. This is a conversation between two close friends, and Paul's saying, dude, listen, I've given you everything. So give this guy something. Give this guy more than you're giving. And what I love about this is Philemon is already a giving person. We read that in the very first part here. Paul says, he loves how much you love. I love how much you give. Now do more. Give more. Love more. Open your heart more. And again, if that's not the story of walking with Jesus, I don't know what is. There's always something more that we can do. There's always another step that we can take. There's always a a deeper path with him that we can go and that we can follow. Walking with Jesus may not be easy every single day, but the more you walk with him, the closer you'll get to him. And the more you'll start to recognize him in the world around you. Jesus said in John 10 that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. The more you're with him, he's using an analogy of shepherding. 
to the point where the sheep would recognize the voice of their shepherd, not others. And if our world has anything right now, it's voices like crazy. There's chaos and there's confusion. That's exactly what the enemy wants for us is confusion. But no, the more time you're with Jesus, the more you recognize his voice and you start to block out all of the other ones. The more you listen, the easier it is to follow. And the more you follow, the deeper you can get with Christ. Think about that. That's where Paul's entire message to Philemon ultimately ties up here. You're doing a good job following Jesus. Now I want to challenge you to do it even better. You love, I want to challenge you to love more. You give, I want to challenge you to give more. You've been hurt, I want to challenge you to forgive and reconcile more. Everything he's doing, he wants to challenge him to do more. Church, that should be how we talk with one another. That should be what we do for one another. And when somebody's new to the faith, we take them by the hand and we walk with them. We walk with them as they learn what it means to follow Jesus. I've had the chance to have some conversations with people who are, are checking Jesus out. Not even the church, but just Jesus. Just checking out Christianity. And it's a, it's, I always like this because it's a reminder for me. Because I'll, I'll, I'll say some things and I'm like, man, they don't even know what I'm talking about. It. It's a reminder for me that everybody comes to Jesus at a different pace. And that's the beauty of the church. So let me ask you a question today that I want to kind of leave you with. Just kind of a final challenge. You can call it a takeaway if you want, but a question I want you to, to answer sometime this week. What step do you need to take next to start moving to a deeper level with Jesus? What step is it? For some of you, it might be your first step. It might be acknowledging that he's Lord and Savior of your life. It might be... <laughs> Maybe it's not even that step yet. Maybe it's just asking more questions about him. Maybe for some of you, you've accepted him in your heart and you're ready to give him full lordship of your life and you're ready to get baptized and make that all official. Maybe for some of you, it's joining the church. Maybe for some of you, it's serving the church, joining a small group. Maybe for some of you, that next step is a radical step. That God's calling you or pushing you or prodding you to do something big. And that's your next step to step out of the comfort and safety net of a job you're in or a life or a career you're in to go do mission work, to go do ministry somewhere. Maybe your next step is one that you don't even know where your foot's gonna hit the ground. What is your next step? How can you take this, this short little message Paul sent to Philemon and let it transform you into becoming more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. We're so grateful, Lord, for the challenges that it gives us. God, even in a short little letter like this, challenges that we know are going to stretch us, that we know can be difficult, challenges that we know can push us beyond what we think we can do. But God, we're grateful for them. We're grateful for the love that you have for us that we get to share with others. God, I pray for everybody here today. This room is, is full of so many people who are doing things in your name so well. God, I pray that we would take a step further doing them even more. That we would, we would get closer to you. We would love in a stronger way. We would give more. We would serve more. We would be there 
more. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the example that he gave to us and the the sacrifice that he made for us in the process. God, we pray this today in his name. Amen.